0: and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly. To spend it on your passions. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you.
1: You know, in my life, I have met a lot of really wise people, and I've met a lot of really unwise people. The one person I have never met is someone who thinks that he or she is not wise. Everyone I have ever met thinks that they're wise. Wisdom is completely unlike money because if you don't have much money, you usually know that you don't have much money. But with wisdom, if you don't have much of it, you usually think you have a lot of it. And if you actually have a lot of it, it's those people who usually think that they don't know or don't have much wisdom. One example of this I heard recently on, uh, on the radio program, This American Life. Any of This American Life listeners out there? It's an NPR radio program. It's, it's like the OG podcast. It's, it's one of the best, okay? And on This American Life, it told a story of a man named MacArthur Wheeler, who was very unwise, yet he did not know it. In 1995, MacArthur Wheeler robbed a series of banks in rural Pennsylvania. And after the police caught him, they said, you weren't wearing a mask. What were you thinking? We have you on tape. And he said, no, you don't. And they said, yeah, we do. And he said, prove it. So they pulled out the tapes and they showed him the tapes. And as he watched the tapes, all that MacArthur Wheeler could say was, but I wore the juice. I wore the juice. You see, MacArthur Wheeler was under the impression that if you rubbed lemon juice all over your face, that cameras could not detect your facial features. To his credit, he did try this out. Uh, He rubbed lemon juice on his face before going to rob the banks, and he filmed himself briefly, but the camera was just out of focus, and so he was just wrong. You see, MacArthur Wheeler thought that he was being wise. He did not think that he was making an unwise decision. He thought he was being brilliant. He rubbed the juice on his face. He was going to get away with it. But he was not a smart person. And that's the point that not many of us actually know what it means to be wise. We live in a world where everyone is 100% convinced that they themselves are wise. The Bible has an entire book book dedicated to this this, uh, idea, and it's the book of Judges. In the book of Judges, uh, we see a collection of different leaders, and we see a collection of failure after failure after failure of the people of Israel. They just keep failing, generation after the next, and it gets more and more severe, and that's the message of Judges. They have this refrain that's repeated over and over again in the book of Judges, and there was no king in the land... And everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They were defining wisdom for themselves. They were doing what is right in their own eyes. But doing what is right in your own eyes is not wise. There was a book published in the 80s called Habits of the Heart by Robert Bella. And there's um, a a religion that he uh, described called Sophiaism. And Sophiaism is the fact that he did an interview with a woman named Sophia, and he said, "Sophia, what is your uh, what is your religion?" And she said, "You know, I I think about things and I listen very carefully to the voice in my heart that tells me what is right and what is wrong, and I follow it." And he called it Sophiaism because she's really defining what is right and wrong in her own eyes. Yet many of us are still falling into this trap of defining what is wise and unwise for and among ourselves. And this morning I want you to take just a moment to consider the fact that you're in a room with, you know, enough people, and maybe not everyone in this room is as wise as what they think they are. And maybe some of us have things to learn when it comes to wisdom, and maybe some of us can still gain when it comes to wisdom. James starts this passage by saying, Who is wise and understanding among you? Church, who is wise and understanding among us? If you're willing to stand up and say, I think it's me, this is what James challenges you to, by saying. He says, By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. You see, what wisdom is not about everyone knowing you're wise, but there's a meekness to wisdom. He's basically saying, you think you're wise, why don't you prove it? He continues in verse 14, he says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So James gives us a test here. He gives us a test to see if we're truly wise. And the test is this, do you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts. What helps you make the decisions that you make day in and day out? Are your decisions based upon getting what someone else has or getting what you want? You see bitter jealousy, bitter jealousy and selfish ambition aren't really that different. They both are focused on the self saying, I want things. So I need to get things. It's just focused on who has them right now. Selfish ambition is I don't have what I want. I'm going to go get it. Bitter jealousy is this person has what I want. And so I'm filled with jealousy and hurt and bitterness. Who is the wisest person that you know, church? When I ask you that question, I want you to reflect on that just for a moment. Who's the wisest person that you know? Who would you go ask for wisdom and understanding if you were just at a loss and you realize that you don't have enough wisdom for a certain situation? Who would you ask? What makes that person so wise? The person that you just thought of, is that person successful? Is that person powerful? Does that person have a lot of money? Does that person make decisions in a way that you find wise? How do they make decisions in a way that you find wise? What are the priorities in that person's life? Are they wise in a worldly sense or in a godly sense? Because, friends, godly wisdom and worldly wisdom are very different. You see, in a, in a godly wisdom, everything is upside down. There's a meekness. A worldly wisdom says you only have one life to live. You need to squeeze as much out of it as humanly possible. Pursue your selfish ambition. You see that bitter jealousy? Let it drive you to pursue pursue more of your selfish ambition. But a godly wisdom says deny yourself, pick up your cross, and follow Christ. Do you see how these are just very different? Your wealth might not dictate your wisdom whatsoever. In fact, Christ tells many people who are wealthy that they need to give it all away. The rich young ruler comes to him and says, what am I lacking? he said, one thing you're lacking is your willingness to give it all away, give it to the poor and follow me. Friends, just because you're successful in the world does not mean that you're successful to God. You can be a very successful person with a soul That is withering away like a three-week-old flower bouquet. Without water, without connected to the stream of, of life. Because how does someone become successful and wealthy in this life, but usually through a lot of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition? So let me ask you this question this morning, as you think about wisdom and your own wisdom. Why do you do the things that you do? Because wisdom is what helps you make decisions on what you should do next. And why do you do the things that you do today? Every human being on this earth is controlled by what James describes as the opposite of wisdom. Every human being on this earth follows their selfish ambition and their bitter jealousy. That's the the state, that's the condition that we're born into. It's called the condition of sin, that says, I will put myself first. I want to be like God. It is the first sin, and it continues to be the rampant sin in all of our lives. Every person on this planet makes decisions in an anti-wise kind of way, pursuing selfish ambition. What do I want? But Christ gives us an example And not only an example, but an ability to escape the vicious cycle only with Christianity do we find not only rules to life to be more wise. I'm not standing here in front of you giving you seven tips to become a more wise person, but I'm standing in front of you offering you something to delight in more than yourself. There is someone and somebody that you can find more pleasure in than yourself. And may his face shine on us this morning as we explore this passage. Three ways that worldly wisdom and godly wisdom differ. They differ in where they come from, they differ differ in what they produce, and they differ in what they provide. So first, they differ in where they come from. Verse 15. He says this, this is not the wisdom that comes from above, talking about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. So worldly wisdom comes from the earth, it comes from an unspiritual attitude, and it comes from demons. While godly wisdom comes from above, it comes from Above. To be earthly, he describes here, means that you're only concerned about the here and now. You don't care about the kingdom of God. You care about this life. So you make investments where moth destroys in the world, and you forget about eternity. When James says that worldly wisdom is demonic, that feels intense. That feels intense. But you need to think about how he's saying it because he's saying that if your life is full of bitter jealousy and selfish ambition you have fallen into the devil's trap you see the devil doesn't need to show up in your life physically present with his horns or however he might look and and torment you if he can just get you to live for yourself you see he doesn't need to tempt you much If you're already given in to all of this temptation by saying, I'm the only one that matters. I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to pursue my selfish ambition. Worldly wisdom says this. This is going to sound almost like a commercial. Follow your heart. You do you. Do what makes you feel good. Find your ambition and pursue it. Find what makes you jealous and get it. There's only you, and you have to take a hold of your life. Worldly wisdom says, don't worry about God's kingdom. Worldly wisdom says, you don't need him or anyone else. Just make the best decision for you. This is the heart of your religion. God doesn't matter. I'm just going to pursue what makes me feel good. Worldly wisdom, though, is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. Godly wisdom, on the other hand, comes from above. Now, how do you get this wisdom that comes from above? Here's how Christians normally do it. Um, When Christians have a decision that they need to make, they say, I'm going to pray on that. And they pray on it. And then what they end up doing, though, is they say a quick little prayer, and then they end up doing whatever their heart was feeling like before they prayed. So they put a little religious stamp on it said, I prayed about it, and this is how I'm I'm feeling. And then they end up doing what they want to do, but in a religious kind of way. I think there's more to it than that, finding wisdom. I think that when we talk about wisdom in the scripture, you cannot talk about wisdom in the scripture without talking about this idea of the fear of the Lord. Because Proverbs chapter 1 verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Now, the fear of the Lord is a passage, a phrase, that doesn't make sense to our modern ears. Because when we say fear of the Lord, we think, why am I supposed to be afraid of God? And many modern preachers have said, well, what our world has missed is a fear of the Lord. And so then they start bringing hellfire and brimstone so that you might be afraid of the Lord. Sometimes you need a little bit of that. But I don't think that that's the idea of what fear of the Lord means when you look at the scripture completely. I think that fear of the Lord has a much more delightful definition, understanding. Michael Reeves, in his fantastic book, Rejoice and Tremble, The Good, the Surprising Good News of the Fear of the Lord. I quoted a lot of this in the weekly newsletter. So if you don't get that, sign up for the weekly newsletter. You can get little sneak peeks in there. And he says this about the fear of the Lord. After looking at all the different texts about the fear of the Lord, it appears many times in the scripture. He says, the fear of God is a way of speaking about the sheer intensity of the saint's happiness in God. Our desire for God and delight in him are not intended to be lukewarm as our love for God is a trembling and wonder-filled love, so our joy in God is at its purest a trembling and wonder-filled, wonder-filled, yes, fearful joy. Our joy in the Lord, our delight in Him is to be so intense that the only word that we can use to describe it is fear. We could use other English words to describe this. We could use a word such as reverence or awe respect, but every word falls short of what the Hebrew is intending us to understand. Fear is probably the best word that we can use there, though we need to unpack it and unfold it so that we can understand what the Lord is meaning when he says these things to us through his word. To fear God is to enjoy God more than anything. To fear God is to enjoy God more than anything. And when you pursue selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, what you are enjoying is the praise of others. What you are enjoying is the things that money can buy you. What you are enjoying is success, ambition, comfort. You're enjoying one of these false gods, one of these fake gods, one of these idols. But instead, to fear the Lord is to enjoy Him deeply to drink from his grace anew to allow his face to shine upon you we can enjoy god because of what god has done for us he is a good god who has done more than what we ever could deserve god has generously compassionately mercifully given us new life While we were going our own way, filled with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, while we were pursuing our own kingdoms, God came to make his kingdom here on earth. He sent his son to live the perfect life and bear the wrath that we deserve so that through him, we might have direct access to the God who created the universe, who sustains it all by his word. So that we might know him, so that we might experience his kindness, so that we might be alive in him, so that we might delight in him. Godly wisdom, my friends, comes from a heart that delights in God above all things. You see, you cannot just get wisdom when you need it, but you have to pursue a life that is wise, that delights in God, so that when you come to the point where you need wisdom, it's available to you. Your heart will either be ruled by selfish desires or a desire for God. There really is no other choice. If you want to make wise decisions, you must desire God, seek Him, and enjoy Him more than anything. So worldly wisdom and godly wisdom, they come from two different places, but they also produce two different things. So let's look at what they produce. Verse 16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. So what does worldly wisdom produce? It produces disorder and every vile practice. And what does godly wisdom produce but a character that looks like Christ? James is saying this. He's saying, do you know what's wrong with the world? Do you know what's wrong with our political system? Do you know what's wrong with our healthcare system? Do you know what's wrong with our public transit system? It could be anything, any system. Here's what's wrong with the systems of this world. Selfishness. You see, with politics, the problem is all the politicians just want to stay in power or they, they have some form of selfishness. There's always selfishness in everything what's wrong with our public transit system selfishness you ride the t one day and tell me you haven't seen someone that's selfish on the T. it's impossible there's no way you could eat the food that i've had eaten in front of me on the t and not be a selfish person this might be what he's talking about every vile practice (laughs) every disorder and vile practice stems from selfish ambition and bitter jealousy Comes from people looking out for themselves more than anyone else that's why we can't have meaningful reform and progress that's why the world is not continually just becoming a better and better place because people are selfish and you can't legislate people's hearts you can't change people's hearts but when we delight in god church we'll become more humble and less selfish our lives will produce wisdom instead of disorder. Who's the wisest person that you know? Here's how you find them. Whose life is most characterized by being pure, peaceable, gentle, reasonable, merciful, impartial, and sincere? That's the wisest person you know. It might not be someone that anyone else would ever revere because they might not be worldlyly successful. There aren't many people who succeed in this world because they're just so gentle and merciful. But God likes to turn things upside down. And so we define success very differently than the world. A heart that delights in God is filled with wisdom from God and produces the fruits of the Spirit. Lastly, worldly wisdom and godly wisdom are very different in what they produce, what they provide. Excuse me, we just did what they produce, and what they provide. Last point, uh, godly wisdom and worldly wisdom are different in what they provide. Verse 18, read with me. If you have your scriptures open, you can look there. Verse 18, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Chapter 4, verse 1. You see in the, in the original letter, I don't know, uh, I just need to explain this every once in a while, the original letters in the Bible did not have chapters and verses. Those were added many years later. And so when you're reading the Bible, sometimes you get to a chapter break, and the chapter break doesn't quite break the f- line of thought. And so you just have to put those together sometimes and realize that they were meant to be read all, all together. Uh, so here we're going from chapter 3 into chapter 4, but he's continuing the same the same line of thought. He says this What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and you cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have, why? Because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Worldly wisdom provides these things for us. Worldly wisdom provides fighting and quarreling. Worldly wisdom provides unanswered prayers. Godly wisdom produces these things. It provides harvest of righteousness and peace and answered prayer. James teaches that at the heart of our fighting and quarreling is our selfish ambition. This is something I do with every premarital couple in like session number two is let's talk about your most recent fight or a common fight and let's get to the heart of it. Why did that fight happen? And you cannot start that fight, you cannot start telling me why that fight happened by pointing a finger, but you have to say what you wanted. What did you want that produced that fight? You see, our fights and our quarrels are caused by our passions that are at war within us. This word for passion, at war within us, uh, again, he's addressing this double-mindedness that James comes back to over and over and over again. We've been talking about this since the very first week we were in James, where he says, inside each of you is a double soul, uh, a daisuke, a two-souled person. You have the Spirit of God living in you but then you have a worldliness that lives within you. And those passions are at war within you. It's like you have dissociative identity disorder of the soul, the multiple personality disorder of the soul. One minute you're someone that you love, someone who you find wise. The next minute you are far from that. You're doing things that you would not be proud of. You have DID of the soul. And so with this word, passions that are at war within us. The word for passion here in the Greek is hedon, hedonon. And if you listen to that word, it's where we get the word hedonism from. Hedonon. Hedonism. And hedonism is a pursuit of personal pleasure. And so the, the passions that are at war within us, these are like the hedonism that we have in our life. If you want to look at your life, what he's saying is you fight and you quarrel because your passions are at war. You murder because you hate in your heart. You steal because you covet. What he's saying is if you see sewage coming out of a faucet, you're not going to blame that on the faucet. You're going to blame that on the pipes, on the source, Where did that sewage come from? You're not going to fix that problem in your kitchen. You're going to fix that problem in your basement, figuring out where the pipes are going. And so friends, if you see in your heart a quarreling nature, if you see in your heart uh, a, a fighting, a constant fighting, if you see in your life those things, you need to check what's going on in your heart. So when we seek wisdom, we're usually seeking direction. And one of the first steps that we take with direction is is prayer. And godly wisdom provides us with answered prayers. And so as he's saying that you're not getting what you want because you have selfish uh, ambition and bitter jealousy winning the war in your heart, so you need to take the things that you want, take your desires that are at war within you, and turn them into prayers, That's what he's saying. He's saying, take those desires, and instead of just letting them out of your mouth the second that a desire comes, turn it into a prayer. And then when you pray, this is what he says, verse 2, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And so he gives us two reasons why God might not be answering your prayer. And the first reason that God might not be giving you the desires of your heart is because you're simply just not praying about it. You might be worrying about it, obsessing about it, thinking about it, talking about it, but you're not praying about it. And the second reason why your, your desires might be unmet is because you're really doing it for yourself. <laughs> because God's not going to give you something that will destroy you. And if you're really asking for something that is full of selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, he's not going to give that thing to you because he knows it will be not for your good. And so if you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions, it's going to push you away from Him. Because here's the reality. Our God loves us. If you don't hear me say anything else, hear this little part. Our God loves us. He loves us. He loves to answer prayer. My God has answered prayer after prayer after prayer in my life. And I can't tell you how ungrateful I often am because I pray things and then he answers them and i never even give him credit for the way that he's answered them but i'm talking miracles i'm talking amazing things things that would never happen apart from him he's answered prayer after prayer for my good and sometimes i don't see his answers to my prayers for years for years i don't see them sometimes he doesn't answer the my prayers in the way i would want him to sometimes It's confusing to me because something can seem like an obviously good thing to me, yet God doesn't seem to agree. And he doesn't give it to me when I want it and how I want it. Maybe you're in the same boat. Maybe you've been praying things that God's just not answering your prayer. It seems obvious to you that this is a good answer and it just feels cruel and wrong and unusual. I don't know why God does the things that he does. Sometimes his will is hidden from us, but I do know this. God delights to give you the desires of your heart when he is the desire of your heart. He will never withhold his presence from you because he sent his own son to give that to you. God delights to answer your prayers, to give you the desires of your heart, when he is the delight of your heart. He will never give you something that will ultimately cause you to delight in his gift more than himself. Psalm 37 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Here's the tricky thing with that verse is, by delighting yourself in the Lord, it actually changes the desires of your heart. Because if you're delighted in the Lord, he becomes your utmost desire. He becomes the thing that you want the most because it's sweet to be in his presence. Because he's compassionate and gentle. Because he gives us more than what this life can provide. We all know that things that we pursue in this life, the place where our selfish ambition and bitter jealousy lead us, is honestly, they lead us to Ecclesiastes. Uh, Ecclesiastes was written by Solomon, who had more wealth than anyone. He's like the Elon Musk of the day, probably more wealthy. Yet he said, It's all vanity, all vanity. It doesn't matter. None of my wealth matters. It's all just a chasing after the wind. Friends, we, we chase after the wind. We, they're like vapors. But God desires for us to delight ourselves in him. And here's the secret to prayer. Delight yourself in God and don't stop. When we read this, you ask wrongly thing, sometimes we think, well, I need to ask right. So I'm gonna stop praying until I get my heart in the right position. And then I'm going to start praying again. And I don't think that that's what it's saying at all. I think that what James wants us to do is pour out our hearts to God. Pour out our desires to God. That's what the Psalms look like, is people pouring out their hearts to God. Let him choose what is right and what isn't right. And as you pour out your heart to God, you're communing with him. And he's going to be changing the desires of your heart and helping you through these things. And so don't be discouraged when it doesn't feel like God is answering your prayer right at that moment. As you're praying, he's doing something in your heart causing you to delight more and more in him because you're spending that time with him and you're seeing his face. As you make it a habit to seek God in prayer, your prayers will be shaped by a heart that delights in God more and more. So friends, do you need wisdom? Is your life Have selfish ambition and bitter jealousy a part of it? Do you need wisdom today? Do you need wisdom to make the right decisions for your life? Here's the first step. Go open the lid on your heart and look at what's going on inside of there. Find the selfish ambition, the bitter jealousy. Take those things, those desires that are expressed in those, and turn them to the Lord and say, but I will delight only in you. Because you are satisfying, and even if I capture all the desires of my heart, all of my selfish ambition came true, I would still be left wanting. If God gave you the answer to every prayer, do you think you would actually be satisfied at the end of the day? But He is sustaining completely. He fills your cup. In fact, it overflows. He provides you with everything that you need. Be motivated by a heart that delights in God. And that's the key to wisdom. Jesus exemplifies this better than anyone. On his way to the cross, he knows that he's about to die. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's 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 sweating tears, he's sweating blood, he's under great anguish, and he prays to the Father, and he actually prays a prayer that's not answered. Even Jesus has an unanswered prayer, and he says, Father, May this cup pass from me meaning i don't want to do this i don't want to do this may it pass from me but then jesus says but not my will be done but yours and it was the will of the father to crush him for our sins you you see jesus shows us what it means to be wise he doesn't allow his heart to be ruled by his own selfish ambition, bitter jealousy. He allows his heart to be ruled by God and his desire to please God and to enjoy God, even when it meant his own destruction, even when it meant a path to the cross where every sin was laid on him, a death of anguish and torment, of abandonment from the Father on our behalf. Jesus walked that line. Because of his godly wisdom. Let us do the same. Let us follow after him. This is what it means to deny ourselves. To follow after him. It means that when you have a decision that you need to make, you don't make that decision just based upon your selfish ambition, but you actually ask, if God was the delight of my heart and the desire of everything that I had, how would I make this decision? If God was the delight of my heart, how would that change this moment of wisdom for me? And eventually you get to the point where God just is the delight of your heart and your decisions become easier because you have a different rubric that you're sending your decisions through. Of course, you have to think through all other things as well. Living in this world is complicated, okay? There's always going to be financial implications. You're going to have to think about all kinds of different things to make a decision. And sometimes God really does just you a choice church sometimes you can say equal god would be delighted in either of these things but i want to put it in our vocabulary that when we're making our decisions we have to approach the lord and say what would you be most pleased in and sometimes that isn't more money sometimes that isn't more comfort sometimes that isn't more success and acclaim but sometimes it's taking a more humble and meek way Just as Christ found. Each week we practice a sacred meal here to remind us of the sacrifice of Christ. It's it's like a tactile way to be reminded that we worship a Savior who was crucified, who died on our behalf. Christianity is so weird in that way. Where we take of this bread and we drink of this juice and we say, this symbolizes Christ's body being broken. My Savior's body being broken for me, and this juice or wine, this symbolizes His blood being shed for me. Our crucified King. So, church, let's stand and and let's let's seek the Lord as we respond uh, in this communion meal. Father, as we come to Your table now, we pray that our hearts will be filled with a delight in You, and we pray that You will give us Your wisdom that we might make wise choices that are focused on not just the passions at war within us, but that we might deny ourselves as Christ denied himself, and that we might be motivated by his great love for us more than what we're motivated by, our own selfish ambition. That we might desire you, we might delight in you more than we delight in ourselves. That you might give us the freedom of self-forgetfulness, That you might give us the freedom of losing our selfish ambition. God, what if this church in this place filled with selfish ambition in this city was a countercultural movement that delighted in you more than we delighted in achieving, more than we delighted in education, more than we delighted in success? But what if we delighted in you? God, I pray that you'll produce that in us, produce that in me this morning, God. May I delight in you this morning. May I find rest for my soul in you. As we take this meal, remind us of what you provide. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.